So we're recording the program. Uh, and then I also wanted to say thank you and let you know this is for the people in New York State, in particular the New York State Ombudsman. The, the New York State Ombudsman program on the state level has been very kind and has allowed us to offer in-service credit for the Ombudsman volunteers who are taking, you know, not taking, excuse me, but who are attending the programs. So this is entirely up to the individual programs, though. Uh, so as you know, we have the state program and then the individual regional programs. Uh, the regional programs can decide if, it is, if we're covering a topic for any of our LTCCC training that is something that they uh, want to approve, they can give the ombudsman credit towards in-service training. So there's more information about that. We'll have a link that we'll share at the end that you can take a brief survey, just give us your name and your uh, your information, and we'll pass that on to the program coordinators for each program. Otherwise, we're going to get started now. Again, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, just a brief background about who we are, the Long-Term Care Community Coalition. We are a nonprofit organization. We are entirely dedicated to improving care and quality of life for residents in nursing homes and in assisted living and adult homes. Uh, welcome, we're just getting started. Uh, we do uh, mostly policy analysis and systems advocacy. Uh, so we work a lot on the laws and the regulations and how they are being implemented both in New York and nationally. And as well, we have been doing more programs such as this uh, trying to, you know, working to educate and engage consumers and families directly, ombudsmen and the people who work with them. The main reason for that is that we really want to connect some of the work that we do on a systemic level with the work that you all are doing, you know, with consumers uh, directly. Uh, our coalition members, we are a coalition, so our co coalition members are all in New York State and they include many of the local arms and programs, the Center for Independence of the Disabled, AARP, a number of Alzheimer's associations and Caring Kind now in New York City and other uh, organizations that represent the aged and disabled. A little bit about me, I joined LTCCC in 2002, so this will be my 15th anniversary in November and I've been the executive director since 2005. So uh, actually 12 years next month. Okay, what are we talking about today? Uh, so as I think you know from the invitation, it's a, we're doing two programs. They're standalone programs. So if you talk to anyone and they're interested, they don't have to attend this program to join us next week and vice versa if you're not available next Friday. We are going to be posting these on the web, but you know we hope you join. You'll join us if you can for the live program and also for Q and A, etc. But today, what I'm going to do is really focus on the basics of dementia care and the problem with antipsychotic drugging. Why is it a problem? How big a problem is it? Uh, what's being done about it? And then, what do the law and what do the standards say about uh, dementia care and antipsychotic drugging? Then next week on the 26th, same time, we're going to do a bit of a deeper dive. Uh, we're going to talk about appropriate care practices for residents with dementia, including non-pharmacological approaches to dementia-related behaviors, 
and then we're also going to provide some advocacy tips and resources for resident-centered advocacy. Now, this project um, that we are just finishing up, actually, we have funding from the Fan Fox and Leslie R. Samuels Foundation in New York City, and we did a project for a year and a half working with two family councils in New York City and with the Alliance of New York Family Councils and New York State Family Council Alliance. And we worked with them over a year and a half providing monthly trainings to the family councils on dementia care and the use of antipsychotic drugs. And this is really the culmination of that. And what we're going to have next week is we're going to have the release, and we'll talk about it, of our toolkit for dementia care uh, advocacy and to help people improve the use of, or, or improve dementia care, excuse me, and reduce antipsychotic drugging for their residents in their communities. A little bit of background information. So dementia and dementia care, as I'm sure many of you know, is a growing concern for individuals and families uh, across New York, across the country, as our population ages and as more people are living longer with Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia. And, you know, I'll often say Alzheimer's people often referred to as Alzheimer's, but there are different forms of dementia. There are certainly some significant differences, but uh, you know, we're talking about, about dementia in general. According to the Alzheimer's Association, 10% of people age 65 and over are living with Alzheimer's disease. And that is the, as I said, the, it's not the only form of dementia, but it is by far the most frequently occurring um, type of dementia. And some of the common behavioral symptoms of dementia as they're called, you know, we see restlessness, we see people wandering, people becoming agitated or upset. Uh, sometimes people have aggressive behavior. So I just kind of wanted to give a lay of the land of, you know, what is going on? What are we talking about here? And what are we talking about when we, when we talk about behavioral symptoms of dementia? We'll talk a little bit more about that in a moment. Now, over the years, our understanding of dementia itself, and also, and importantly for us, the experiences of people living with dementia and the nature and the reason for their behavioral symptoms has changed, and it continues to be something that evolves. And as a result of that, acceptable care practices and treatment of people with dementia has also evolved. And the little box here I have decided is kind of like an arrow behavior equals communication. I would say if there's one thing that you can take away, I don't, I don't want you to, I don't want you to leave the program, but there's one thing that you take away today, I hope it's that understanding. It's something that I remind myself all the time when we talk about people with dementia, when we talk about issues with their care and family member issues, et cetera, is that behavior is a form of communication. And when people have those so-called symptoms of dementia, when they become agitated or they're upset, they get upset and they scratch or they yell or they cry, um, they're not doing that to be annoying. They're not doing that to um, just for the heck of it. They're doing that because they are expressing something that is going on with them. And that's what we expect our professional caregivers especially to understand and to be responding to in an appropriate way. And that's that's really the foundation 
of everything we do in our advocacy and what I hope, again, that we can impart in these programs and everything we do that we are, we want people to be addressing dementia care in a way that understands that behavior is a form of communication. So what specifically are, is the problem that we're trying to address today? Almost one in five of U.S. nursing home residents, uh, including in our state, New York, are given antipsychotic drugs every day. Only 2% of the population will ever be diagnosed with a psychotic condition recognized by CMS. That's, that's the federal government. So you have 20%, almost 20%, about 19 or so, who are receiving these drugs. Only 2% really should be getting them. Uh, this is a general statement, but I think it's really striking. What happened was that over the years, it became a common practice to sedate people with dementia, uh, especially residents in nursing homes who were distressed, who were exhibiting some of those behavioral symptoms. However, the Food and Drug Administration, the FDA, issued a black box warning which states elderly patients with dementia-related psychosis treated with atypical antipsychotic drugs are at an increased risk of death. Now, the black box warning is the highest possible warning that the FDA issues. Uh, they talk about atypical antipsychotics, but they actually extended that to all antipsychotics. So I won't get into it too much here, but, but it, it goes to all antipsychotic drugs. And it states not only increased risk of death, but also the antipsychotics have other serious side effects, including causing movement disorders, uh, causing people to fall causing hip fractures, uh, strokes, and increased risk, as we said before, of death, strokes and heart attacks, excuse me, and increased risk of death. Uh, fundamentally, antipsychotics stupefy residents, and they can seriously exacerbate functional and cognitive limitations. And too often I hear when people talk about residents with dementia or people with dementia in general, they've kind of given up on them. Um, that's the sense that I get. Quite often, even people who have known people with dementia and seen that it's a progressive disease. And even if people are at a late stage of dementia, they are not, it's not a monolithic experience. Uh, sometimes people have good, good parts of the day. Sometimes they have bad parts of the day. Different things can um, be helpful to them. And fundamentally, they can still be happy and they can still enjoy their lives. And it may be in a different way from those of us um, who do not have dementia enjoy our lives and what we experience and what we would want for ourselves or our loved ones, but that doesn't mean that they're not capable of enjoying their lives and appreciating it, and also that they're not capable of experiencing pain and having an underlying infection, having being unhappy or sad about something. And that could be, you know, why we're seeing some of those behaviors. Again, behavior is communication. So for someone with dementia who maybe has a backache or maybe is constipated or maybe is bored, he or she has no way to say, hey, um, can you, you know, I, I need a massage or, hey, I, I need to be, be laying down for, I, need, I want to lay down for a while because my back hurts. They can't say that. So um, what they do is they express 
what's going on in a different way. And that's what we need to understand. And most importantly, as consumers and people who work with, you know, residents, families, et cetera, is that we make sure that their caregivers understand that. Lastly, I want to mention, you see this is in bold, antipsychotic drugs are not effective for more than a short period of time in addressing behavioral symptoms of dementia. And that's really important. I, a lot of people I talk to, they also say, you know, some, I, I see it as I said before, that people too often, I think, give up on someone with dementia, especially if they have significant dementia. But at the same time, I understand this. I, I've been a family member myself of, of nursing home residents and I um, had elderly grandparents, excuse me, that the if you see someone that's upset and agitated, you want them to calm down. I mean, that's true of a stranger and it's certainly true of someone you love. And that's why I put this in bold here because antipsychotic drugs are not effective for doing that for more than a very short period of time. Uh, I'm not a clinician, but I do, I read a lot, and I've talked to clinicians about this. And, you know, basically, it's different for every person, but basically, we're talking about, you know, a week or two, generally maximum, that someone, um, you know, might get an antipsychotic drug appropriately because it was an urgent situation. Maybe they were being, you know, they were a danger to themselves or they were danger to, to someone else, and you wanted to calm them down quickly. But those drugs are not effective, again, for a long period of time. So before we got get started on some of the, the law and the regulation, I wanted to just give you a reference to some of the common terms that we talk about. Well, antipsychotic drug, what are we talking about? What are we talking about? Excuse me. Uh, we're talking about Haldol, Seroquel, Abilify, some of these drugs you've uh, you know, maybe seen advertised on TV. They are indicated to treat conditions such as schizophrenia. Uh, there are several, you know, there are different drugs and they, they will be matched to different kinds of conditions. Tourette syndrome could be one, uh, but they are not generally used for the treatment of symptoms of dementia. And then what I mentioned before, the behavioral and psychological symptoms of dementia, uh, this is the way that people refer to quite often uh, signs of distress when a resident or a person gets agitated, has um, becomes delusional or has hallucinations, etc. And when we talk about non-pharmacological interventions, we're talking about approaches to dementia care, approaches to addressing those so-called behaviors by focusing on understanding what the individual is experiencing, what they're trying to express, and why, and meeting those needs by providing them with comforting care and activities that are appropriate for them. And this, you know, we're focused on nursing homes here, but this is what should be going on in any setting. Then on the right-hand side of the page, I just have a list of some of the relevant enforcement agencies. There's a CMS at the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid Services. They both oversee care, and they also are where all the standards of nursing home care come from. And we have the state survey agencies, and they implement those uh, rules within the states. And then there's also the Medicaid, uh, excuse me, Medicaid Port Control Unit and the Office of the Medicaid Inspector General. And they also look into this to some extent because the Medicaid pays for a substantial portion of long-term care, especially in nursing homes, but in some communities as well. 
So it's, um, they play an important role as well in oversight. Why are the laws and the regulations important? So in 1987, the Nursing Home Reform Law was passed. The law proscribes, prohibits the use of psychotropic drugs as chemical restraints, in other words, as drugs that are used to control or sedate a resident for the convenience of staff. However, in May 2011, just five or six years ago now, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services Inspector General said nursing home residents and their families should be, quote-unquote, outraged by his office's report that well over 250,000 nursing home residents in the United States were receiving antipsychotic drugs for medically unaccepted off-label uses. Those are the agency's words, not mine. And then in a review the next year of residents' records, his office found that 91% of the time, they did not contain any evidence that the resident or the resident's family or legal representative participated in the resident's care planning process. Every single resident in that study had been given an antipsychotic drug. So I wanted to give you some of these, these facts just to say, just to let you know how serious this problem is and how often families and people who work with families are not aware uh, that their residents are being given, being given antipsychotic drugs. As I said at the start, it's one in five residents now, just, just about one in five, uh, and only 2% of residents will ever have a psychotic, psychotic condition, excuse me, that CMS has identified as possibly appropriate for the regular use of these drugs. So we have, you know, possibly, you know, 17 or 18 percent of nursing home residents that are receiving these drugs inappropriately. Lastly, the laws and the regulations are important. This is really the focus of the work that we're doing now uh, at the Long-Term Care Coalition is recent updates to the federal regulations. They strengthen government expectations for good dementia care and for avoiding inappropriate drugging. And there's some, uh, there's some good aspects of the regulations, and they were improved, I think, um, uh, made stronger in uh, last fall, so as the new regulations came out. A little bit about how this problem happened. Well, one thing was that in the 90s, the big drug companies marketed antipsychotics illegally as a way to provide care for people with dementia and as an appropriate, quote-unquote, treatment for behaviors associated with dementia. So when I say illegally, what I mean is that a drug company can market its drug for a what we call an on-label use, you know, something that is indicated that's that's the thing for which the drug was tested to to um, cure or to provide a treatment for. They cannot market drugs for off-label use. However, many of them did, and in the about 10 or so years ago, we saw a lot of settlements. Remember, Johnson & Johnson, which is a company probably many of you have heard of, they settled a lawsuit from the federal government for about $2 billion. It was one of the biggest um, settlements, in, which I'm aware of, uh, for illegal marketing of these drugs. And other, the big pharmacy companies did the same thing. But they had, in the meantime, they had for many years marketed these drugs to nursing homes and to geriatric doctors, et cetera, saying, oh, this is an appropriate treatment for someone with dementia, uh, when in fact it wasn't. 
In addition to that, as I noted at the bottom, we, there's a couple of other things. One is there's a lack of sufficient nursing home provider training and caregiver training in general. Uh, too often we see that there's a lack of sufficient staffing. So when a, in a nursing home situation where there's not enough staff, sometimes they will give, you know, there's an impetus to give someone a medication to say calm her down rather than to take the time to say, hey, you know, what's going on with Ms. Jones? Why is she crying that way? Or why, why does she try to scratch the, the nurse aide? Let's, um, let's see what's going on with her. Maybe she has a um, urinary tract infection. Maybe, you know, uh, maybe something is going on with maybe she has a dental problem. Um, but they don't do that too often. And then lastly, there was, there's been a lack of government enforcement of dementia care standards. And this is something that we have focused a lot on over the years. We, we publish data on our website for every nursing home in the country um, on a, a, at least a semi-annual basis, looking at, you know, what's going on with the drugging rates and what's going on with the enforcement. So after the Inspector General came out with those, you know, that study saying, and saying that as a result, you know, what he saw in, in the extent of antipsychotic drugging in our nursing homes that families and residents, uh, that the community should be outraged. CMS, the federal agency, initiated a federal campaign to improve dementia care and reduce the use of antipsychotic drugging. And that campaign was launched in March of 2013, and they set a national goal of a 15% reduction in antipsychotic drugging in U.S. nursing homes by December of that year, eight months later. Uh, we actually got a grant from CMS to write a consumer guide to getting the facts about antipsychotic drugs and dementia care. It's still on our website. Uh, it's, still, it's just a two-pager, but it's really helpful, and you're, you're welcome to copy that and use it. Uh, education. So nursing homes, as a result of the Affordable Care Act, are now required to conduct annual trainings on good dementia care practices for CNAs, for the nurse aides. At the same time, CMS and the state are supposed to be increasing the surveyor focus, inspector focus, on good dementia care and avoiding unnecessary drugs. Now, unfortunately, the above goal, the 15% reduction, was not met until the end of 2013. So it should have been an eight-month goal. Uh, it should have been reached in eight months, excuse me. Instead, it wasn't reached for another 21 months. And unfortunately, from our perspective, little has been done since that time to increase momentum or even to maintain that, that, that really slow momentum. That is why it's so important for us to know, you know, from our, from our perspective, from my perspective, it's so important for us to know our rights and, and how we can achieve them because everyone has a role in quality. And, and this is, this is true. You know, care staff have a role. The ombudsman have a very important role. Resident and family councils and resident and family advocates have a role. Uh, the state oversight staff, as I said before, we look to them to implement and to make sure that these protections are realized for residents. I mean, especially when you think about a resident with dementia, with significant dementia, who uh, cannot easily speak for him or herself, they depend upon the oversight staff coming in there and making sure that nursing homes are following the rules. They depend upon ombudsmen um, to be there and to be monitoring. They depend upon 
certainly their care staff to make sure that the care that they receive is appropriate. And of course, you know, I, I also mentioned administration here because I think in, you know, in any nursing home, it really comes down to the administration. What is, what message is the administration setting, um, sending, excuse me, to the workers, to the families, and most of all to the residents? So I also wanted to mention that while we're talking about nursing homes and all the standards that we talk about relate to nursing home care, good care is good care no matter where you are. And if you're someone with dementia, you will experience that problem if you have a problem, um, whether you're in a nursing home, whether you're in assisted living, whether you're in home care. So we do focus on nursing homes. That is really where all the data is in terms of who's living there, what kind of care are they getting, how do we know if they're getting drugs or not because there's data on what drugs they're getting. And there's also a strong body of standards for nursing homes. We don't have that for adults' homes and assisted living, and we don't have that for home care. So to a large extent, we we just don't know. And I, for, for let me just say, for nursing homes, uh, I think having a an informed and empowered family members and family council and ombudsman has a critical role. And that is important, again, in any setting, but really you can make a difference because too often these you know, drugs are given and no one really knows about it. And unless the family members have the ability, for someone with dementia, unless the family member has the thought, you know, has been given the idea, or well, maybe I should ask, or maybe um, I should find out what's going on, or look up what drug they're getting, etc., then too often we see that families don't know and residents are just given these drugs uh, inappropriately. So just in terms of other settings here, though, recent studies found, this is in terms of assisted living, 76% of assisted living residents have a documented diagnosis of dementia. Over one-third of those people were being given antipsychotic drugs. And the study also said that residents in an assisted living that had a memory care unit were more likely to be treated with both dementia medications and with antipsychotic drugs. And we've seen case after case of, you know, the someone coming in, and we have a wonderful ombudsman in New York City, Richard Danford. I don't know if he's on, um, but hopefully some of the ombudsmen in New York City are on. But I remember Richard went into a hearing about Richard going into a nursing home and talking about antipsychotics, and the family didn't know, and then you know the family members did not know about it. And then some of them asked, as a result of that, they asked, you know, what's going on? Is my resident getting these drugs? And some of them were getting these drugs uh, unnecessarily. So information is, is is really power, and that's what we want to do. We want to furnish you with information as, as useful as possible. So now I want to talk about some of the specifics in the law that can support your advocacy for residents. So again, everything we're talking about today is part of the nursing home reform law that was passed in 1987. The regulations came out in 1991 and went into effect in 1992. Uh, informed decision making. Residents have the right to be informed about the risks and benefits of any medication or any treatment. Residents have the right to refuse any medication or treatment. That's true of, again, anything. It's true of, of antipsychotic drugs, 
it's true of drugs, period, and it's true of care. And residents have the right to be free from chemical restraints. So what does that mean you know, exactly, you know, informed consent uh, and the right to be aware? Well, this is what the regulations say. Resident has the right to participate in planning care and in their planning their treatment. They have the right to be fully informed in language that he or she can understand of his or her total health status. They have the right to be informed in advance of what care is going to be furnished and the type of caregiver who's going to be providing that care. They have the right to be fully informed of any proposed changes in care or treatment that may affect the resident's well-being. They have the right to be informed in advance by the physician or other practitioner of the risks and benefits of proposed care, of treatment alternatives and treatment options, and to choose the alternative or option that he or she prefers. So again, this is important. It's that goes to the physician or the professional practitioner. So if it's someone who is prescribing these drugs, the point is it's not just the, you know, shouldn't say just because CNAs are very important, don't get me wrong, but it shouldn't be the CNA who doesn't have the expertise in terms of prescribing that's coming in to do this. It has to be the physician or the practitioner. And I thought this was really important because so many family members that I've spoken to, they almost never see the physician or the practitioner. And then lastly, as I mentioned before, the resident has the right to refuse treatment regardless of whether doing so may be detrimental. Now, and I, I um, say this all the time, I make bad decisions quite often. Um, my doctor says that uh, my, my sugar levels are high and I should eat less sweets. Uh, I buy you know, cake or pie every single weekend. Um, so that's probably not a good decision, but I am entitled to make that decision. I will be entitled to make bad decisions when I'm in my 60s, 70s, 80s, and if I'm in a nursing home, I am still entitled to make bad decisions for myself. That is my um, prerogative as an adult. Now, how does this apply? How do all these things apply to residents with dementia? As we talk about them being fully informed, them being informed in advance, them having the right to refuse treatment, et cetera, that if a resident is judged incompetent, under the laws of the state in which they live, the rights of the resident are exercised by the person who can act on their behalf, who can legally act on their behalf. So usually that's a family member, sometimes it's someone else. Now, that person has to be acting in their best interest or, you know, in what they would have wanted to do. Uh, so they can refuse treatment, they can, but they have the right to, to understand what is going on, to be fully informed in language that he or she can understand when the resident is not able to understand that goes to the family member or whoever is making decisions for him or her. And what I want to include here is just a sample checklist. Uh, as I noted in the little bubble on this side, the cloud on the side, this checklist is actually from a fact sheet that we have on informed consent. All of our fact sheets are available at www.nursinghome411.org. So what we did, this is, as I mentioned at the start, this is really the culmination of a project that we did with family councils and ombudsmen in New York City. But we are putting together a toolkit that anyone could use. It's free. You could download any or all of it. But it's 
essentially different fact sheets for different situations and different issues related to dementia care and use of antipsychotic drugs. So this one is from the informed consent one. And you can see what we try to do is we provide some of the, the legal language. So you know it's just not, you know, some guy from LTCCC told me that this was the case that you can actually see what the law says and share that, but also to have a checklist for you that you or your clients can use in the future. So here's from the checklist that the prescriber should disclose and discuss the diagnosis if known, the nature and purpose of any proposed treatment or procedure, the risks and benefits of the treatment, alternatives regardless of their cost or the extent covered by insurance, the risks and the benefits of alternatives, and the risks and the benefits of not receiving treatment or undergoing the procedure. So that is, it's short, but I think it's pretty complete when you're thinking about someone being uh, proposing a drug or someone proposing some kind of treatment. Again, this goes to anything, not just antipsychotic drugs, but uh, hopefully it will be valuable for people to pull up, you know, whenever you need it. And you're more than welcome to share this with you know, families and residents and family and resident councils and in your organizations. So I wanted to talk about a few more specifics in the law, uh, in, you know, in, in the federal regulations. This, by the way, this, this page is brand new. This is from the new federal regulations. I think it's really good because, as I've mentioned and hinted at a bit, that, you know, we see people, we hear about people who are being put on antipsychotic drugs uh, in a nursing home, and sometimes the family, even though the family should be asked, they're not asked, so the family doesn't know that they're on the drugs, and it could go on and on and on. And because, as I mentioned earlier, the drugs are not effective for a long period of time, what we often see happen is that drugs are added. So they add another drug, and then we have what we call polypharmacy, and there is, you know, and that makes it even more dangerous. All the things that we talked about in terms of increased risk of death and of tremors, um, of, of falls, et cetera, that gets multiplied when you have more, more drugs. So, excuse me, I just got pop-up, get rid of that. Okay. So the drug regimen of each resident must be reviewed at least once a month by a licensed pharmacist. This review must include a review of the resident's medical chart. And the pharmacist must report any irregularities to the attending physician and the facility's medical director and director of nursing, and these reports must be acted upon. This is directly from the new federal requirements for nursing homes. So I, I think it's really important in a couple of ways. Is one, they are now mandating that there be a review on at least a monthly basis. And they are mandating that there be a reporting of any irregularities. And that that has to go to the physician. So you're seeing a chain of command here of, of responsibility that we, it, it existed in, in some ways before, but not as sharply as I think we see it here. And I think that is really important. So I wanted to devote a slide and talk a little bit about, well, what is an irregularity? What, what does that mean? And what do they have to do when there is this so-called irregularity? Because, you know, I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't know that as a family member. What is, a, what is an irregularity? Excuse me. I can barely say it. Uh, so 
Irregularities include, but are not limited to, any drug that meets the criteria for an unnecessary drug. We're going to talk about unnecessary drugs. There's a whole provision about that that we'll talk about next. So any drug that is considered to be an unnecessary drug for that resident. Any is an irregularity, excuse me. Any irregularities noted by the pharmacist during this review must be documented on a separate written report. The written report must be sent to the attending physician and the facility's medical director and director of nursing. The report must list at a minimum the resident's name, the relevant drug, and the irregularity the pharmacist identified. The attending physician must document in the resident's medical record that the identified irregularity has been reviewed and what, if any, action has been taken to address it. And then lastly, if they're not taking any action, if they're not changing the medication, the attending physician should document his or her rationale in the resident's medical record. So I know we're giving you a lot of information here. And please know that you know, we, we are going to have next week, we're going to put up a fact sheet that will just focus on this. So you'll have an easy two-page piece that you can use, you can look at, you can share, uh, et cetera. And we're always happy to provide, you know, to any extent that I can, technical expertise and to answer questions by email, et cetera. We're, we're a small organization, as many of you know, but these issues, I think, are really important. And I think that this whole system that we see here of having to identify of the responsibility that, that facility professional staff now have to have a role in what's going on in the residence and to have that role be on a regular basis and be in writing, uh, couldn't be more important from my point of view. So next we're going to go to, so what is an unnecessary drug? And this again is straight from the regulation. Each resident's drug regimen must be free from unnecessary drugs. An unnecessary drug is any drug when used in excessive dosage, and that includes duplicate drug therapy, which we, you know, we mentioned before, that they're getting say two, one antipsychotic and that antipsychotic stops working, so they add another antipsychotic. When the drug is used for too long, for excessive duration, without adequate monitoring, without adequate indications for its use, or in the presence of adverse consequences which indicate that the dose should be reduced or discontinued. So what could be an adverse consequence of someone with dementia? Uh, it could be that they're sleeping all the time, that you knock them out, that they are no longer, you know, recognizing their loved ones, they're not able to eat on their own when they were before you started giving them the drugs. Those are some of the adverse consequences that you might see. So it's pretty broad here, and it's broad. And the reason why it's broad is important because drugs under the law for 25-plus years, drugs should only be given to treat a specific condition that is indicated due to the resident's uh, medical record and clinical status. No, it's in, it's in, it is a clinical status and indicated in the medical record, excuse me. So this really gets a few other stuff that, that's going on there that's being given. Well, that is you know, possibly unnecessary, and that's when all this other scrutiny pops in. So in addition to the unnecessary drugs, the regulations also talk specifically about the use of psychotropics. 
Now, CMS, when they came out with new regulations in the fall, they essentially um, they included antipsychotics in psychotropic drugs. And psychotropic antipsych excuse me, antipsychotic drugs are a form of psychotropic drug. But CMS wanted to broaden it a bit to include other psychotropics because they were concerned that if someone was being taken off, say, Seroquel, an antipsychotic, that they could be put on, you know, Lexapro or an antidepressant or uh, or some other medication inappropriately. Uh, so here, uh, regarding psychotropic drugs, excuse me, based upon a comprehensive assessment of a resident, the facility must ensure that residents who have not used psychotropic drugs are not given these drugs unless the medication is necessary to treat a specific condition as diagnosed and documented in the clinical record, which I just said before. Uh, residents who use psychotropic drugs must receive gradual dose reduction and behavioral interventions unless clinically contraindicated in an effort to discontinue these drugs. And we're going to talk about some of that at next Friday session. We'll talk about some of the gradual dose reduction and behavioral interventions and what's expected in good practice. Um, residents should not receive psychotropic drugs pursuant to a PRN. A PRN is basically when the prescriber, the doctor, whoever is prescribing, says give it to them as needed, as to be decided by the caregivers on the floor. So residents do, should not be receiving psychotropic drugs pursuant to a PRN order, excuse me, unless that medication is necessary to treat a diagnosed specific condition that is documented in the clinical record. And PRN orders for psychotropic drugs are limited to two weeks. There's some limited exceptions to that, which I didn't include here, but I do um, reference in the fact sheet. So really, it's, it's um, you know, the law, as I said, has always been strong. The law always prohibited inappropriate drugging. It always prohibited the use of chemical restraints, that's giving someone a drug to sedate them rather than to um, respond to their care needs. But here we get into some um, some really good specifics, and a lot of it really goes back to the medical record. Over and over again, we see that reference. So I want to mention that because I think it's important that, you know, for families and for advocates to know. So I'm going to open it up now to questions and comments. I have a couple more slides after this, uh, just with some other information, but I want to open up now for questions and comments. So give me one second. Hi. The line is open if anyone has a question or a comment about anything I've discussed today. Hi, no questions? Okay. Um, <laughs> well, I'm going to move on then, and if you do have a question, I'm leaving the line open. You can also, there is a um, communication message box on the upper right-hand side that you should be able to use to uh, type in a question, and we can answer it that way as well. So these are some of the resources. That you, as you can see, these are two of the fact sheets that we are putting together. The fact sheet on the right-hand side on informed consent is already up on the website. 
the fact sheet on the left-hand side, which is on basic standards of practice for good dementia care and avoiding inappropriate antipsychotic drugging, that is um, that will be on the website by next week when we launch the toolkit. And then coming up, as I mentioned, we have the next part of the program will be on May 26th next week. It's also at 1 o'clock, and we're going to talk about appropriate care practices for residents with dementia, including non-pharmacological, non-drugging approaches when a resident has those so-called dementia behaviors. We'll talk about some advocacy tips and resources for families and for ombudsmen and for you know, resident advocates, and that will really focus on the dementia care advocacy toolkit that we will be coming out with at the end of the next week. And then we're also doing a, uh, a monthly program on the new federal nursing home regulations. Each month we select one or two of the regulations that we think is, you know, are important to residents and to ombudsmen and advocates and families. Uh, on, on June 20th, our next program will be on protections from involuntary discharge or transfer. And I just put down here some information that any of the programs can be accessed uh, the same way you access today's program through the freeconferencecall.com forward slash uh, Richard Mollett, my name, uh, et cetera. Uh, and again, we have the free monthly programs. Uh, and for each of the programs, we do come out with fact sheets. So we have a toolkit with fact sheets that we're coming out with to hopefully break this down and, and you know, have it in meaningful and useful port, you know, portions or pages for you all to use, but also in a way that's organized to help you access it from our website, you know, now and in the future when you need it. So our website is nursinghome411.org. We have a learning center now for residents, families, ombudsmen, and other advocates. Uh, we're going to post the presentation materials on the website after each program. And then if you have any questions uh, or comments, please email us, info at ltcc.org. So thank you all very much. Again, if anyone has a question or comment, I would um, please let me know. Okay. Uh, you can email us, info at ltccc.org. You can also join us on Facebook. Now, for ombudsmen in New York State, please note the link below. If you'd like us to let your supervisor know that you attended this training program, there's a very brief survey, um, and the link is, is at the bottom of the page. And then for family members, we encourage family members in New York State to connect with the Alliance of New York Family Councils, www.anyfc.org. So thank you all very much. Thank you for attending. I appreciate it. And uh, you all have a nice weekend. Thank you, Richard. Uh, thank you, Gilbert.